Thanks, Kathy, for leading us in worship. It's good to be back. Good to be back in the saddle again, back from vacation, back to the reality, of course, which includes this these days, kind of makes it a little bit more difficult in terms of doing shopping and so on. But uh, we did a number of things on vacation. Uh, one of the things that we did, uh, we would many times watch a movie each night, and one of the movies that we watched was the movie Gettysburg. Now, this is a reality for me because my great-great-great-great-uncle, I think Thomas Waltower is his name, his name is on one of the monuments there on the, on the field of where the, this battle was fought back between 18, back in 1863. And, uh, and if you know much about uh, U.S. history, you know that the nation was completely divided at that particular point. And in this battle, you had brother sometimes fighting against brother, uh, father fighting against son, and uh, it was just a horrible, horrible time. 660,000 people lost their lives more than any other war uh, in U.S. history at that time. The battle was basically about slavery. North wanted to abolish slavery. The South, the Confederates, wanted to have each state be able to decide what they were going to do with it. And actually, this battle of Gettysburg decided that issue. Because, you see, the North had been losing up to this point a good bit of the battles, a good bit of the war. And, uh, and this battle would decide whether or not slavery would continue to exist or not. What decided that battle uh, was basically where the armies were. There was high ground on this battlefield. I don't know if you've ever been there or not, but uh, one, of the, one of the generals, a cavalry officer by the name of Buford, went there, he got there first, and he could see that whoever held the high ground was going to win the battle. He had this vision of Union soldiers, he was on the Union side, trying to rush up this hill and take the hill and watching them just get mowed down and slaughtered. And so he fought to preserve that space, which is, of course, where the battle was fought for the next two days. It's called the high ground. And high ground determines many times whether or not you're going to lose or win a battle or whether or not you're going to lose the war. This new series is called Higher Ground. And, of course, we're going to be studying um, the book of Philippians. We like the word higher. You know, we talk about higher priorities. Everybody knows what, what that is, Alcoholics Anonymous talks about the fact that if you're going to escape alcoholism or any addiction, you're going to need the help of a higher power. We know what it means to take the high road. The high road means that you're going to do something that people don't normally do. It's not going to be the easy path. It's going to be the hard path. And then, of course, we also know what it means to take the low road. The low road is basically the easy path. It's, it's doing what you feel like doing in the moment, no matter who has to pay for it. The high road is the alternative to acting out of anger, or acting out of lust, or acting out of pride, or frustration, or selfishness. And I'll tell you, I mean, the truth about us is that we know when we've taken the high road and when we've not. We know when we've taken the low road and we've just kind of rolled around in the mud with everybody else, and when we haven't. The destination for the high road is reward and not regret. Now, I don't know about you, but there have been times when I've been, you know, frustrated or angry or, you know, just hurt. And I've taken the low road, and I'm telling you, you know, I don't even need to look at a map to know which road I'm on, because we all know. The theme, higher ground, is, hear me on this, it's not about getting to heaven when you die. It's about heaven basically being behind you. It's about going where heaven wants to take you, and taking heaven, taking, you know, the good news of Jesus where you go through life. And here's the deal, you see, if you want life, according to Jesus, if you want life, you have to take the high road. That's what higher ground really is. 
And you see, every single day of your life, here's the deal, you're going to find that you've got a fork in the road and you've got to decide, am I going to take the high road? Am I going to head for higher ground? Or am I going to take the lower road? Am I going to do just what comes most easily, what seems effortlessly, you know, what seems to be effortless? And, you know, you can just jump in the river and float downstream. But then that becomes your destination, which we're going to be talking about. Now, if you don't mind, I'd like to try out a brand new metaphor on you. And it's going to sound a little bit weird at first. But you know how Jesus talks a lot about the kingdom of God and talks about, you know, what it means to be part of a kingdom. He does that all through the Sermon on the Mount. Well, unfortunately, about 2,000 years of history have affected the meaning of that phrase for us. It, it's gotten clunged up, clunked up. And so when we hear it, it actually reminds us of moats and castles, you know, and fat kings eating whole turkey legs by themselves and so on. So it implies some of the wrong things, I think, from what Jesus uh, intended to mean. So the metaphor I'd like to try on you is the word for country and for nation. Now, if you remember, God had basically uh, told them that his name would be Yahweh Nisi, which means God your banner. And if you want to put this in a crude way, it's I'm God your flag. This is your identity. Your identity is with me. It's where we pledge our allegiance. It's, it's who we are most loyal to with lives. And I think it fits because God has always had a people. God has always had a country that, uh, and a promised land where he was taking people. Now, I'm originally from the USA, and some of you are from other nations, from the Philippines and from you know, the Republic of China and Hong Kong and, and Afghanistan. And where we're born is called our nationality. But we find ourselves here in Canada, okay? And there's all these different nations, and we are now loyal to Canada. It's where we pay our taxes. It's where our kids get educated. You know, it's the country that protects us. This is our home. This is where we pledge our allegiance. And some of the laws that applied to you back in the country you came from don't fit here. You know, if you came from China, they limit the number of children that you can have. Well, there's no limits here. You know, if you were you know, from Iran, there are limitations if you're a woman in terms of what you can wear and what you can do. No limitations here. So those laws don't apply. Now, I thought about this and I thought, well, <laughs> there's a lot of comparisons between the nation of God or the country of God and the countries that we live in and, and are from. Uh, USA and Canada both have constitutions. Well, God has a constitution too, and his, his constitution is about love. We're to love him and love other people. Um, God's nation has a bill of rights. We come from nations that have bills of rights too, that tell us what we can and what we cannot do. Uh, God's nation has a justice system in it. So does this analogy make sense to you or not? If, if it does, just nod your head. Oh, I can't see you, so it doesn't matter, right? Peter, uh, people like Peter and Paul, early followers of Jesus and founding fathers, if you want to call them that, in this country or in this kingdom, they describe that there are only two possible nations that you can be a part of in the spiritual sense of that word. Let me read it for you. It's a little bit stark, but this is what they say. Give joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of, of his holy people in the kingdom or the country of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion or the country or the domination of darkness. And he's brought us into the kingdom, the country of the son he loves and whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sin. The low road, you see, represents the old nationality that we come from, the kingdom of darkness. Taking the high road, higher ground, represents this new nationality that we're part of. You take the low road and Jesus said, it'll wreck your life. It'll destroy your life. The kingdom of light that we are now birthed into and forgiven into, it's the high road. And it sometimes is inconvenient, and sometimes it requires sacrifice, and sometimes it challenges us at the deepest level, challenges our selfishness. 
an instant self-gratification. But it's worth traveling in, and it's part of the Constitution. It's part of this new country that we're in. Now, there's one more thing that I want to mention here, and this isn't new with me. You can actually predict your future. Did you know that? Like, you can predict where you're going to end up in life, and I'll tell you how. All you have to do is basically look at the path that you're already on. Look at the path that you're already on and trace it out and see where it leads to. Now, Andy Stanley is the one who, who came up with this. It's called the principle of the path. But basically, what this means is that if you look at a path, let's say, for example, you're here in Toronto. So we all know that this is the 400, okay, and it goes this way, and that this is the 404 or the 400. Uh, this is the 400, sorry about this, and this is the 404. So, you know, if you're saying, well, you know what, I have these goals, I want to go down to the Sky Dome, and I want to go to the Rogers Center, and I want to see the Jays, and I want to see the Leafs, and I want to, you know, go to the Brahm, and I want to go to the Princess Gate, and, and I want to do all these things. Well, if you're going this direction, and you're saying this is what you want to do, then this list doesn't make any difference, does it? Because the, de the direction that you're going in determines your destination. And it's just a principle, okay? Now, uh, let me kind of illustrate this from my own uh, dumb experiences, okay? I gave you a recent example. We got back from uh, vacation, and I decided I was going to mow the lawn. And so I'm mowing the lawn, you know, with, with a lawn tractor that I bought on Kijiji. I know, I should have learned my lesson. But anyways, so far, so good. So I got most of it done, and there's this lower part of our property that gets kind of swampy over in the one end. And I thought, you know, I think I can make one more run at this, you know, and not have to do the rest of it with the weed eater. So I did, and sure enough, the wheels went down into that muck, and I was stuck. Like, there wasn't getting out of that, you know? So direction determines destination. Now, almost being there is kind of the operative word, because you see, uh, this whole thing sunk down into the mud. And I'm telling you, it took me four hours and probably about $60 worth of equipment, chains and come-alongs and everything like that, to get this thing out. I found out that CAA doesn't make house calls for your lawn tractor. And the phrase that I've repeated over and over again is, Ken, you should have seen this coming. Lori said amen about at that point, you know. And you may say that too, you know, you can just mock me if you want. Ken, you should have seen this coming. I know, it was a dumb move. See, the issue with principles and the principle of the path is this is different from like traffic laws that you can break and if nobody sees you, you're probably good. Principles are like, you know, the principle like the law of gravity. Now, you can wish all you want that when you throw a rock that it's going to float through the air and not drop on the ground, but I'm telling you, it'll drop on the ground every time. There's the Archimedes principle, which is the principle of buoyancy, and it describes why you throw a pebble in the water and it sinks, and you have a cruise ship you know, with 5,000 people on it and 5,000 tons of food to feed them, and it floats. It doesn't make sense, but the principles are the principles, and if you, you, can, you, know, you can ignore a principle, but I'm telling you, you don't break them, they will break you. The high road and the low road set your direction. And this is kind of what it looks like directionally. You know, you know, if you're saying, you know, well, you know what, I want to be a loyal husband. But this is the direction that you're going in, like sleep with everyone I meet. I'm telling you, you're going in the wrong direction. Your direction will determine your destination. If you're saying, you know, I want to be financially wise and I want to save money and pay off my mortgage and do stuff like this. But 
if you're going to this direction, got to have it, and I'll do it on credit if I have to, then you're not going to get there. If you're saying, you know, you know God's going to be first in my life. I'm going to put him first, you know. But your life is basically, I am first. That's the direction that you're going. That will be your destination. And if you're thinking, you know, I want to get, you know, I don't want to be, you know, addicted to drugs or alcohol or anything like that. I don't want to be sober. I want to be healthy. But like if every night for you is KFC and beer, then that's not where you're going to end up. You understand, right? The direction that you're currently going in is going to determine the destination. And if you want to go someplace else, then the Bible has a word for that. It's called repentance. It means that you turn around, you stop where you're going, and you turn around, you make a U-turn, and you go in the other direction. And you do what you have to to get there. Now, Jesus' final story in his message, the one we studied a few weeks ago, is precisely about this principle. You know, that you're either going to wish you had or be glad you did. And he talks about this, gives this story about somebody, this guy who built his house on a sand dune and a guy who took all the time and trouble and money and effort to build on, her, to build on uh, bedrock. You know, if you take the cheap, easy way out, which is the guy who built on sand did, then, you know, you've already set the direction. And the whole thing's going down, no matter how much money you've put into it. The path determines which way you're going to go. So here's my question for you as we move into this new topic in this new series. What path are you on? What direction are you taking? You know, when it comes to your value system and, and how you handle your sexuality and how you handle your job and your relational world and the promises that you make, you know, and even stuff like alcohol or your health, are you taking the high road? Are you just going with whatever comes easy? Just kind of throw yourself in the river and float downstream. Because the direction that you're going in is going to determine your destination. And in this letter that Paul writes to followers of Jesus who are in difficult times, he shows them the way by his own example and by what he says to take. How to take the high road. How to get to the higher ground. And to follow Jesus means that you are born into this kingdom, you know, and, and if you're the kingdom that you were in before you met him, it was an evil kingdom, and it's like kind of a Nazi regime, and it's ended, headed for, you know, evil and, and, and humiliation and destruction. But you've been brought into a new country, and Paul says in this passage, and the Spirit of God says, if you hear him, you've got to live in this new kingdom, live in this new nation. So long intro, right? Okay, I get that. So what's Paul, Paul's path at this juncture of his life when he writes this letter? Well, let me give you a little bit of history. It had been 10 years or more uh, since, since he'd actually been to the Phil city of uh, Philippi and actually started the church there. And it actually all started with a vision that he had. He was headed someplace else, and he had this vision one night with a guy from Macedonia where Philippi, uh, Philippi was, basically saying, come over to us, come and help us. And so the vision that he had set the direction for what they were going to do. So they went into the city of Philippi. There was no synagogue there because there probably weren't enough Jews for there to have a synagogue. And so they went, they found out about a prayer meeting down by the river uh, that was running through the city. And, uh, and they went down there and talked to some of the people who were there. Paul told them the good news of Jesus. And there was a woman by the name of Lydia who apparently sold purple, which was a very expensive dye, very expensive cloth. And she decided that she was going to follow Jesus. And she's quite wealthy, and she says, why don't you come and stay at our house? And so Paul and Silas did. Well, when they began telling the good news there, that's when the opposition started. Apparently a slave girl in that town who you know, made a lot of money for her boss by telling fortunes, 
you know, started stalking Paul and Silas. And it wasn't just stalking them. She was calling out from the sidelines, you need to listen to these men. These are men of God. They're going to tell you, you know, the best way to live your life. And after a while, Paul had got like she, you know, he had one nerve left and she was getting on it. So, you know, he turned around, cast the demon out of her, the demon that had basically been given her the special powers to predict people's futures, and she was free. The problem was that then Paul was thrown into jail for his efforts. So he and you know, Silas were beaten with rods, and then they were thrown into the, the prison there in Philippi. So what was their response? Well, you know, they wailed and they cried. Why, God, how could this happen to us? We were trying to follow you. That's actually not what happened. <laughs> they actually became a, began a worship service, and it rocked the whole prison. They were freed. Actually, an earthquake rocked the prison. And so the, you know, the prison guard... The prison warden was about to kill himself because if you lose your prisoners, you lose your lives. So uh, Paul and Silas said, hey, we're still here. And that night, the prison warden and his entire family and all of his, all of his servants and all of his kids and, and you know, relatives and so on decided to follow Jesus, and they were baptized that very night. Now, in the morning, Paul uh, called for the city officials and he said, by the way, we're Roman officials, we're Roman citizens, and the last I heard, it's illegal for you to build, to, you know, to beat and then you know, imprison Roman citizens without a trial. Only they were scared to death. And so they escorted Paul and Silas out of the city. And from what we understand, that's the last time that Paul was there. Now, in the next 10 to 12 years, this church grew, but things went from bad to worse for Paul, if you just look at it from a physical perspective. He was misunderstood. He tried to give an offering to the, to the followers of Jesus in Jerusalem. And he was you know, flogged there. He was stoned he was, and left for dead. He was jailed on false charges and, and eventually shipped off you know, to Rome. And in the process, he, he gets in a shipwreck. So this has been a tough time. So he's writing, this, he's writing this letter from the prison there in Rome. Now, this is tough because, you see, Paul loved to travel, loved to preach. He was kind of... You know, all missionaries love to go to new places and see new people and so on and work with leaders, which is what he did. And all of a sudden, he stopped in his tracks and he can't go anywhere. And then he's guarded day and night by an elite set of Roman soldiers and very likely facing a death sentence, as he alludes to in this, uh, in this, in this um, letter that he writes. It gets worse. You'd think that the other believers would support him, you know, and say, hey, listen, how can we help? What can we do? And some of them did that. But, you know, so you have one group then who, decide, who thinks to themselves, well, let's preach the good news. Maybe we can make things worse for Paul. That's weird, isn't it? <laughs> people who believe in the same Jesus. And then there's another group of people who are trying to siphon followers off into what Paul calls kind of a knife-happy circumcision group. In other words, you know, well, yeah, believe in Jesus, but you've got to become a Jewish person as well. So, you know, Paul introduced them to grace, and now they're going back, you know, to a form of slavery again. And in the middle of all of this hassle, guess what this book is actually about? It's about joy. <laughs> it, the, the word joy is used 16 times in this book, more than any other book in the New Testament. And joy, if you'll remember, is kind of a rare brand of, of, of happiness, if you want to call it that. The happiness that we're familiar with you know, goes up and down. You know, you hit your teens and you're all over the map when you're in your teens and so on. You go to university and, and you fail your first year, so you know, you're down. And then you get your first job and you're high in your first job and so on. And then you get demoted or you get fired and you're down in the pits again. And then, you know, you get married and, well, you know, maybe you stay up there. Most people don't. Most people have fights. So, you know, happiness is like this. It's up and down. 
Joy is this deep stream that flows under the whole thing. Joy is hope. You know, uh, if you'll remember, joy is having peace with God, peace with other people, and peace within yourself. And that's exactly what Paul deals with here in this, in this passage. Joy is not about you and I, you know, finding ways to change our circumstances and scam the system, you know, so that, you know, we are able to be successful and, and we get all the money we want and the career works out and, we, and we're attractive and our health is fine, you know, so that we end up as a really good-looking corpse in a really expensive cap, you know, coffin, you know, with a big, you know, stone pillar over our heads that, you know, says our name to all the world. That's not joy. Joy is bigger than that. Joy is bigger than being at the the top of your happiness. Joy is what you want. And joy is one of the benefits of taking the high road. Paul talks about all kinds of things here. You know, by, by choosing to follow and serve Jesus, Paul realized what he had lost, you know, his success and money and prestige. But he realizes that this is just a pile of garbage compared to what he's found in Jesus. You know, it looked like Paul was a captive of the Roman guards, but actually they were a captive audience, and he's influencing them and influencing the whole palace of the emperor at that particular juncture. You know, all the followers of Jesus had a hard time. Paul became an object lesson of how you live under tough times and how you find joy in the middle of it. It would look, you know, from the outside like Paul, you know, when he gets thrown into jail, he kind of loses his, his platform of being able to speak. Actually, all of his letters, pretty much, are written from prison, and we have what he taught. We have the way he lived because of the fact that he was there. So his influence spread way beyond anything we could ever imagine. And Paul makes some comments in this that are very hard to understand, apart from this joy path that he's on. Uh, there, these are some things we're going to be studying in the next weeks. He says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. This is good news. What God has started in you, he's actually going to complete. We're going to be talking about that next week. He says, yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Does that sound like a demoralized person to you? He sound like, I'm just down. This so I've had it so hard. He's not having a pity party. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. How do you punish someone who's not afraid of death because then they get promoted to be with Jesus and then if they live, they're able to continue to help people, which is what they love to do. What do you do with somebody like that? He said, even if I'm executed here and now, I'll rejoice in being an element in the offering of your faith that, makes you, that you make on Christ's altar, a part of your rejoicing, but turn about's fair play. Listen to this. You must join me in my rejoicing. Whatever you do, don't feel sorry for me. Isn't that incredible? And this isn't just, you know, the good old British stiff upper lip, you know, and stuff, just make it through it. Joy is not about what happens to you. It's about what God does for you. And we see all these themes here. God starts what he finishes. Joy is a choice that you and I make. It tells us how to avoid pity parties. We're going to talk about that. It talks about facing death without fear, how you can do that, how you can be content. So lots of great themes here. Now, how? Well, it's this new country that Paul is living in. It's this new kingdom. It's what he's a part of. Listen to how he puts it. He says, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven. 
conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then, whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with me, one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. You understand what he's saying? He's talking about this new citizenship. He's talking about this new country that we live in. There, it's on a very different path from where we are. Just kind of as a crude illustration of this, imagine somebody coming you know, over from Nazi Germany back in 1940, okay? And they come and live here as a citizen of Canada, but they're living under the government and the values and the principles and everything else of the Nazi regime. Would that make sense? Because Canada stands, and at that point stood, for everything that was opposed to that regime. It doesn't make sense. And that's precisely, you see, what some followers of Jesus Christ do. You know, They swear allegiance to, to God's new country, and they fly his banner and his flag over their lives. And then they try to find their peace and their hope and their joy in what Jesus said leads to destruction. So you can be forgiven by this, you know, and have the Spirit of God live within you, and you can taste grace and taste freedom that Jesus you know, died to give. And then you can live on a road that leads to destruction and leads you to a place that you don't want. It's possible you know, to say, you know, I love and believe in Jesus. Yes, I do, you know. But live a life that says, well, I love and believe in me, mostly. Or you can say, you know, I love and, 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 and believe in others. Yes, I do. But I have to be first. I have to always be right. I have to have my way. Or I believe Jesus is Lord of all, but not over my body. You know, I'm going to do with my body whatever I want. All through this book, Paul points to the high road. The high road shows love and respect for Jesus and obedience to him. And that's what Paul says here in these words. He says, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a matter, manner that is worthy of the good news about Christ. This is a new nation. And it's right in the center of Canada or U.S. or, you know, Wall Street or Madison Avenue or Hollywood, you know, Boulevard or Grey's Anatomy or Canada's Got Talent or, you know, Instagram. Right in the middle of all these different little kingdoms here, there's this new nation. We are citizens of a new nation that belongs to Jesus. And you want to take a direction. You want to set your direction by what you do each day. Your path, you see, is either the high road to higher ground that leads to dignity and leads to hope and contentment and life, or it's what Jesus called the highway, the broad road, you know, the road that, you know, has all these promises at the beginning, but then begins to narrow down to where you don't want to be. And if that's your path, I just want to ask, like, what's your destination? Like, what, what are you hoping for? Like he who dies with the most toys wins? You know, with all of eternity stretching before you when you pass from this life, will you want to have just done it your way and taken the low road and floated downstream? Nobody wants that, I don't think. You know, in his letter, Paul puts it like this, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And he ends this section with these incredible words. For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes. Remember what I talked about? It's possible to pledge your allegiance to God and then live in a totally different way. That's what he's talking about. He says, and I, said it, I say it once again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct, the way they live, 
shows the principle of the path that they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. So you understand, right? As, as, under, as citizens of this new country, the purpose of our lives goes way, 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 way higher and way beyond just getting lots of good stuff and trying to stay away from trouble and difficulty. And that's true in any given month, any given year, any given decade or millennium. This is the eternity that we're talking about. And I'm telling you, as Paul puts it in this letter a number of times, this is worth giving everything for. It's taking higher ground. It's taking the high road. Now my question to you as we close is, what path are you on? What path are you on? See, if you are on the wrong path, will you actually stop and then live in a different direction? Go to a better destination. Let's get back to Jesus' final message in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus, you know, home construction story, you know, kind of highlights the principle of the path. And his entire message is about living in a different direction. That's what we're talking about, living in a different direction. Jesus starts out and he says that the way to blessing and happiness has to do with humility has to do you know, with choosing to do what's right. It's about showing mercy, about making peace with others. Remember how he pointed out you know, that broken promises and anger and retaliation and lust lead to destruction. They lead to a path that you don't want to end up on because it leads to a destination that you don't want to have. Remember how he said that the way to life is about having a generous spirit with others and not judging, that you need to be careful who you listen to and who you follow, that because you better make sure that it's not some convenient path that somebody's chosen and you're just kind of blindly following behind them. There's some paths, as Jesus put it, that will lead you to a hell of a life and lead you away from God. Now these aren't just you know, great quotes or one-time decisions. They are directions that we choose. And you either choose higher ground or you don't. It's in this message that Jesus invites people, you know, not to come to an altar, you know, and have all their problems fixed and then, and then go away from there, but to live in a different direction. Wise people, you see, understand that, you know, that how you're going to fare when the storm comes is connected to the past and whether or not you've built some kind of a foundation under your life. And yet tons of people totally ignore the sign maker. Jesus has labeled paths. He said, this one leads to life, this one leads to destruction. This is going to lead you to a hell of a life. This one is going to lead you to real life. And people just think, well, you know, hey, if I get in trouble, you know, which I don't think I will because I think I'm right on this, but if I would happen to get in trouble, I'll just find somebody to fix me, you know. If something goes wrong, you know, um, you know that I can't seem to get myself around, I'll just unplug myself, you know, wait 15 seconds and plug myself back in and reboot and I'll be fine. Or something happens in a relationship, you know, and I'm not happy, you know, I'll just move out and I'll start over with somebody else. Or if I, you know, spend myself into a corner, I'll just, you know, declare bankruptcy and, and start all over again. Or, you know, if I don't like my life and don't like the way things are going, I'll just go out to Vancouver or California, someplace like that, and find myself. Andy Stanley said this, he says, the problem with finding yourself is that yourself is the problem, you know? It's kind of like the old word, the words from the old you know, song from the Eagles, you know? Ain't it funny how your new life didn't change things? You're still the same old girl. You're still the same old guy that you used to be. Moving in a, someplace else doesn't change you. 
Now, here's the bottom line, and I don't want you to miss it. If you tangle your life up, if you get yourself in a mess, remember all the directions that we showed, showed you, you have to do what pretty much every speaker and writer in the Bible says you need to do. It's repent. It's not, you know, you know go sackcloth and ashes and, and feel sorry for yourself the rest of your life. It's basically, no, you've got to change direction. You've got to, you know, direct yourself into a better life. Walking in a new direction in the right way will give you the life that Jesus promised. It takes you to higher ground. It's a life that makes a difference. It's a life that you want to live. It's the life that you want to be in. So we do that. Years ago, my brother and I were driving across the state of Pennsylvania to where I was going to start university that fall, just outside of New York City. So at one point, you know, we're driving quite fast, actually. My brother uh, pulled off to the side of the road and walked back to my aqua-colored Rambler station wagon and, uh, and he said in the days before GPS, because you could have asked Siri or one of the others that are on there, he said, we took a wrong turn. Now, we tried to see if we could fool the map, you know, and find some, you know, path that led us from where we were to where we wanted to be. But there wasn't any road like that. And so we had to go the whole way back, like 80 miles back to where we had left the main road and then go on the right road. And I learned two lessons from that that day. First, when you're traveling in the wrong direction, you can't pretend that staying on the same path is going to get you where you need to go because it won't it'll just take you further and further away from where you need to be the second lesson is you better make sure that this confident person that you're following is competent and knows where they're going i would suggest that you follow jesus because that's what jesus asked us to do so we didn't get lost now, in this series of messages, we're going to be talking extensively about higher ground, about living the wise way, about finding joy. It, it, at its core, it's just simply about doing what why Jesus said wise people do. They look at the path that they're on and they make sure that the direction they're going is where they want to end up. And so this is kind of our finish point today. I can find it here. Joy is about what happens through you, not to you. And here's the principle of the path, and I want you to remember it. Direction, the direction that you're already going, direction determines the destination. If you're on the 400 and you're heading towards North Bay, that's where you're going to end up, okay? Not Toronto. If you're on the you know, 401 and you're heading towards Kingston, that's where you're going to head up. Your direction is going to take you there, not out to Windsor. You have to be careful what direction you're going. So you can't just flip God off on what he has to say about life and get where you want to go. And here's the deal. Living on higher ground means sometimes intentionally choosing the hard way, the, hard, the way that's going to you know, create some suffering and create some difficulty and create some inconvenience because the destination, you see, is worth it. The destination is worth it. And so where are you? I just want to ask you, like if you were to if you were to kind of look at the direction, at the path that you're on right now, like where's it headed? Where are you going to end up? And if you want to change direction, then you need to stop and you need to say, I want to go a different direction. And God will give you the power to do that. Direction, not magic, not good luck, not dreams, not good intentions, not the philosophy of life that you wrote out three years ago or ten years ago. Not that stuff. The direction is going to determine where you end up. And if you're going to end up someplace where you don't want to be, 
then why don't you follow Jesus? Why don't you follow his way? Let's pray. God, it's so easy in our world to get on a bad path. It's so easy to fool ourselves into thinking that this bad path that we're on, that someday it's going to just turn out okay. And we're going to be fine. And we're going to accomplish the things that we want in life. And we're going to find our higher ground. And we're going to be happy. Because that's why we take the path. We think it's going to make us happy. And I pray, Lord, that you will work, work in me. Help me to stay on the right path in the right direction. And I pray for those who are listening. If they are on a path that's going to lead them away from where they want to be, want most to be, I pray that you will give them the guts to stop and to turn around and to live their way in a new direction to a new destination. And I ask this in Jesus' name.